Hello, my name is Evan Jacobs and welcome to the Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir Aftermath podcast. These interviews are part of an ongoing series chronicling the hardcore punk music scene in Orange County, California and sometimes elsewhere. They are an addendum to the film Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir. This is a documentary I made that chronicles the 1990s hardcore punk scene. You can stream Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir on Vimeo. For $2 a month, you can watch every Anadimia film by subscribing to Anadimia Films Unlimited on Vimeo. Links for all this stuff are in each episode description. To support this podcast, please like, rate, and review it. Also, please subscribe to Anadimia Films TV on YouTube, where you can view all of these podcasts in their original video form. So, and this sort of is, this is the only one that I'm going to go off the list just because, like I said, I'm so excited. Jim, if I would have told you when you and I met in 1990, we actually met, I think, in 91 or maybe even 90 because I, I came in when Trigger Man was recording. Yes. If I would have told you all of these changes that um, were going to be happening, <laughs> like that, that the sea change in the industry. What would you have said in regards to recording, recording equipment, everything? God, I don't know. I, I, I mean, there was there was so much uh, hype and you know so much excitement and kind of like fear that you know everybody would be recording in their bedroom and not re- need a recording studio and. Uh, you know, the whole, the controversy with, you know, digital was sounding, you know, not as nice as analog and the conversions and all that stuff. So it was, uh, it was really hard to, you know, get a, get an accurate perspective on where it was headed. You know, I mean, there were times that I thought that maybe it just wouldn't happen and we'd all fall back into the analog thing and live happily ever after. Now, have you found that at all to be the case? Like, because I heard Paul, Paul Miner, he, he has Buzz Bomb Studios out, out here. And he was saying that he was never really worried too much about people. Oh, because, you know, like recording stuff, uh, uh, digital audio workspaces are, are on, you know, they come on our phones. They come on our, they come on our computers. But he says he was never really worried about that because he said everyone that does that is going to eventually want to raise their game. And the majority of them aren't going to build out these crazy studios. And that's where people like you come in. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with it. It's, um, you know, um, it's like when when you're not uh, relying on a studio you're pretty much stuck with doing everything yourself. And I think, I think that's where, you know, where it falls apart because I I mean, I know that I'm stretched whenever I try to take on other, you know, jobs in the studio and stuff. I just like being a recording engineer and uh, I've been doing more producing, actually probably more producing and less recording, uh, which I, for some reason I kind of enjoy, but I still like, uh, you know, have, being hands on and get my hands dirty and stuff. And so, so yeah, I, I kind of thought that, uh, you know, cause nothing sounds like 
a nice room to record in. And you just can't do that in your bedroom or in your house or, you know, whatever, or in your garage. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, w- I was pretty confident that it would all come around, that it would, you know, I, I knew it wouldn't be like a novelty or a fad kind of thing. But I, I, I did, I was pretty confident that it would run its course and it would find its place and, uh, and the studio would survive along with, you know, I mean, some cool stuff is being done at home. You can't argue that. How, now take us back. How did you get into this? How did you get into recording? Because, I mean, you you were doing it. I mean, and, and when I saw you, you had the board, but you also had, like, I mean, you were working with a Mac. And at that time, that was state of the art. <laughs> yeah, with, uh, oh gosh, I think I, that four, I had a 40, I think it was a 40 meg external hard drive. And it was like $575 or something like that. Yeah, hard drive space was just, you know, horrible. But um, yeah, it was, it was tough. I mean, it was like um, everybody, it seemed like everybody wanted to be a, a recording engineer, you know, wanted to be involved in the studio back then which was, I started school in 79. And, you know, the only program that was available really, what you know, that was really worth anything because um, uh, full sale still wasn't really coming on too strong. But uh, fortunately, there at Golden West College uh, in Huntington Beach, they had a pretty awesome uh, recording arts program. So I kind of kicked things off there. And um, there was just... When I graduated, there just weren't any jobs. I I did, you know, a lot of applications, talked to a lot of people. And uh, actually, there was a studio there in, like, around Anaheim Hills. And, uh, and I got into the second interview. I was supposed to meet with, like, the vice president or whatever. And then I, and then I never got a call back. And I picked up the, the um, uh, register. What, wasn't that the Orange County paper yeah. there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the studio got shut down. I guess they were embezzling money from <laughs> Hughes Helicopter uh, uh, Health Insurance or something. And that's how they were building the studio. So the FBI shut the whole thing down. That was the closest I came to getting a job, uh, you know, whatever I was looking. But I was just I, I was just so determined. I, I didn't have anything to fall back on. So uh, I just I and, I and fortunately, I had a pretty good job at the time. So I just started buying gear, and then once I had everything uh, purchased, I started looking for a building, which is really hard to do because nobody wants a bunch of you know bands in there, a bunch of low life musicians, you know, <laughs> in their buildings. So it was pretty, it was pretty tough to find a spot, but uh, but I did. Um, that was the um, one on Maine and Edinburgh. Yeah, actually, there was an there was another one. There were two others uh, that nobody knows about. There was one over by Anaheim Stadium that I was sharing with my brother, and then that was short lived. It was like four or five months, and then they found out what I was doing and kicked me out. But then I was um, uh, right just about a half a block away from Guitar Center there on. Was that on Main Street? Yeah, the one yeah, in Santa Street. Ana. The one like yeah. kind of, there was a Norms down the street. There still is yes. the Norms, yeah. Yeah, so I was behind a building. That, that was a, a little building. Uh, so that was really my second. And then that was the that was a pretty long stay there. And then I moved over to the uh, South and Enninger, 
where the row of studios was there. And, and I ended up being in all, what were there, three of those there? And then ended up in that big one uh, that probably, so you've probably never been in my other buildings, have you? I knew about it because I did a little bit of research because I did a thing, I, I do a thing called scene, scene Stops. And so I went to where Ice and, and Trigger Man and Farside, where we recorded on Edinger and Maine. And even in the video, if uh, I'll send you the link, we were like, which building was it? Because I started off thinking it was one, and then and then by the end of the video, I think we figured it out. And you can watch it and let me know. But okay. I knew about that other one, but I'd never been to the one on uh, Maine. Okay, okay. That's what I thought. And yeah. so what kind of gear, you said that you were buying gear. What kind of gear were you using at that at that time? Well, there, you know, there wasn't uh, much going on, you know, that was affordable. So I started out with uh, 8-track analog and a 12-channel Ramza, which no, I, I, I never saw too, that Ramza used much in studios, but I just really liked the way they sounded. So that's where I landed with that. And then I ended up with this, you know, bigger one. This uh, 20 input uh, one, whenever I moved over into those other buildings. But um, yeah, so I had I, I had uh, the 8-track and the 12-channel console. And just, a, I mean, outboard gear was really expensive back then. So I couldn't afford much. I did splurge and buy two DBX-165A compressors because... Compressors were really, really important. I felt, and it, it, you know, and it was true with the way that I like to record. I, um, I, I used a lot of, uh, you know, the high-end uh, compressor along with the analog tape compression and stuff as well. So, um, but then, uh, but the big thing, and I still believe it. I, I was just a microphone whore. I, I knew every everything about every microphone ever made at the time. And I just, I made it a point to buy the most expensive mics, you know, the nicest mics that I could find, because I knew that was important. If you, it didn't matter what kind of gear you had. If you had a crappy mic, you weren't going to be able to get any. Did it, um, did it matter to you, like, were you at all worried when you were doing this that, um, like, hey, I'm moving studios Am I going to be able to still retain the sound? Like, was that ever a thought in your head? Or or do do you know enough that you weren't really thinking about that? You know, you thinking back on it, you would think that would have been a big concern. But I think I was just so focused on moving forward. I just figured I could make anything work. And it seemed like that that, that philosophy kind of, uh, kind of worked for me because there were there were huge limitations in all of the buildings that I was in, in until that last uh, big soundstage, you know, that you guys were, were in with me. Um, you know, we worked around, we worked around a lot of limitations and I do have to, I would like to thank every band that I ever worked with for putting up with the crazy spaces that they had to be in. And, you know, I would put singers in bathrooms, you know, to get, you know, certain sounds and, you know, working through sliding glass doors and just, I was putting people in crazy places and I just, 
I really appreciated how flexible everybody was and and how trusting they were too because I really I'm I'm not really sure that I would have even trusted myself with all the stuff that I was doing but um maybe I just projected some confidence you know out there and they uh and, and they stuck with me but it seemed like everybody we all had a good time was the name always South Coast Studios amongst you know moving from building to building did you always retain that yeah, it did. Re- it it was always South Coast Recording Studio. Yeah. And what was the reason, like, like for that for that name? Just you liked it. It had a good sound. You know, I couldn't come up with anything. I did always like that. You know, the beachy kind of thing, which came from you know, with so it had the coast in there. But um, I, it was right. You know, South Coast Plaza it was right <laughs> down the street. Totally. So I was like, hey, how about South Coast Recording? Now, how do you get clients in those days? Because now, I mean, if I was to open up a studio or do that, I mean, you have the internet. There's so many different ways. How were you getting clients? Like, were you going to see bands play? Were you, I mean... You know, that was what the crazy part was. And I and I wake up in the night, in the middle of the night, like, thinking about it. Because, like, right now, if I knew me back then, I would sit me down and go, you are completely crazy for thinking that if this is going to work out because it's just not um i i you know what there was the um the little local orange county uh paper that that a lot of musicians bam, were looking for other, like was that bam uh, yeah that was it yeah yep i couldn't think of it so i put an ad in there every once in a while but you know in the long run i i, I think once uh once a few people started coming uh it was just mainly word of mouth i didn't rely much on advertising i would like throw out flyers every once in a while around music stores things like that which was really hard to do because nobody had a printer you had to actually do design work and take it to a printer and pay for 500 flyers which you might only need 20 but you had to do 500 you know that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it was, it was scary not being connected to any bands or musicians. I was just this crazy guy that wanted to be a recording engineer. And I just had this, you know, this illusion that if you just had a studio, people would show up (laughs) and and somehow that kind of happened. That was the weird part.